0: Mr. Crusher, lay in a course for Geek Top 5,
1: yay! the
0: flagship podcast of the Federation. I'm Jesse. I'm Graham. And there's a bunch of cool stuff happening over the last couple weeks that we're here to bring straight to you. Top of the list, let's jump right in. I thought this was super cool. Everyone else seems to be taking it in stride. So there's this guy, his name's John Jameson, he's from Texas, um, lost his vision, he's legally blind. Oh yeah, but it's okay now because now he has a bionic eye implant and he can see
1: fine. It's uh, pretty intriguing. It's like it it sort of went under the radar, but it's like that That, seems like a huge step forward. That is a huge deal, and I
0: can't understand why people don't think this is amazing. (laughs) Um, essentially, what they, what they did is it's, it's not as cool as I thought it was. They didn't actually replace his eyes with robot eyes, which is the dream, obviously. <laughs> uh, but what happened essentially is in surgery, they removed the natural organic lens from the eyeball and they implanted what you call an implantable miniature telescope. This big complex thing of lenses that they screw in, which is fun because it looks like he's wearing a little monocle all the time.
1: <laughs> um, very little monocle.
0: Very little monocle. Uh, but the idea that they have now augmented this guy and restored his vision after something like 40 years, and um, the company that manufactures this thing is called Centrosite, and the operation has just been approved by the FDA down in the States. <laughs> I lost my mind, because since the dawn of science fiction, the coolest thing in the world has always been cyborgs, has been augmentation, has been taking human beings and making them cooler with robot parts.
1: Now... Just to backtrack for one second, you were saying that uh, you didn't think this was as cool as uh, totally replacing the eye. But to my mind, this is almost cooler, because there's something defective, and they instead of just completely replacing it, they just sort of repaired the broken part of it. It probably makes a lot more sense. It's a lot more
0: practical, yes.
1: (sighs) Is it, though? It's like, I don't know. I don't know enough about biology or science to really have an opinion, an educated opinion one way or the other. But it seems to me, in this day and age, when a fridge breaks, oftentimes it seems easier just to replace the fridge than to buy, or than to repair it. You know, you buy a new fridge instead of hiring a repairman because ultimately you, you don't end up saving much money by having it repaired. This is going back to the days where you have like a Maytag repairman but for your eye. I and mean, he comes in and just fixes the one part of your eye that's broken instead of replacing the whole thing. As if you were some kind of
0: medical professional. Uh, uh, what uh, would, what
1: the, would the word be for that?
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, in terms of like, the science behind it, it's a lot harder. Um, a refrigerator you can swap out a part and you're fine except for, you know, modern fancy ones, so the Apple computers or refrigerators. Right. The problem with the human body is, even if you're dealing... Like, let's suppose you lose an arm and you want to put on someone else's arm. Assuming you can even do that, the body might reject it. And this mm-hmm. is something that happens with organ transplants and stuff now. Yeah. And that's other organs. That's other natural human-grown stuff. To build in mechanical devices, I mean, your body's going to respond to that like you know, like like it was a disease. Like, it's a foreign thing that's not supposed to be there. And try to fight it off So that's sure. really tough So like, this is why I'm saying that it's, it seems less exciting Because my initial read of this was that it was a bionic eye Which would have meant putting in an eyeball And like wiring it into the neurons of the brain and stuff okay. Obviously that's still a bit of a ways off Right But this is. But you're right, this is cool Like This is using an augmentation to fix a problem and, it seems, and, and you know they did a television interview with the guy, and he's fine, and he can see again, and he's delighted.
1: Yeah, he, he said he's got some double vision, and uh, he's still getting used to the depth perception of it. But, I mean, considering he had those problems were like dreams a few years ago for him, it's this is like a, a, a big deal. Yeah, when I was growing up, if you were blind, you were blind. Yeah. That was it. That
0: sucked. And maybe that's where all this stuff comes from. Like, science fiction is full of these things. Like, as far back as, you know, RoboCop and the Six Million Dollar Man, all that story is about having a problem and fixing it with technology and then getting even cooler stuff, obviously, because that helps up with the plot. But then cyborg characters are everywhere these days, and... I guess depending how sarcastic you are about it, the way everyone relies on their iPhones these days, carrying around their technology, it's sort of built into everyone anyway.
1: Yeah. yeah, you're not far off. I mean, I know people with diabetes who have the implanted uh, insulin pumps, you know? They're basically cyborgs for all intents and purposes. It's, it's becoming more and more a uh, common facet of our lives
0: yeah and there's some futurists who are really into this kind of stuff if you look into transhumanism Mm -hmm. like these are the people who implant magnets into their body so that they have a sense of magnetism which is a little it's a little out there for me i think (laughs) but i mean look i i've always wanted to have cool like you know i would love to have rockets built into my legs You know, they jump jets to fly around. Robot arms, that, And, like, the robot eye has always been a part of it. I'm thinking Hank Henshaw, the cyborg Superman, who has the robot eye. Like, you know, it's his version of Superman's powers. He can switch it to X-ray mode or to shoot a laser gun at somebody mode.
1: Now, just to be clear, this is different from the Hank Henshaw from the Supergirl TV show, who's actually in The Martian Man. Uh, Oh, so
0: disappointing.
1: Right. Uh, (laughs) uh, No, but, like, that
0: that kind of technological development sort of augmenting the human body, has always been a dream of science fiction, and apparently now stuff like that is just happening, and it's covered on local access news, and yeah. nobody even cares.
1: We, that blows my mind. We can't uh, finish this topic without bringing up the Forge from Star Trek The Next Generation. Right, with the visor. Yeah, right. the original blind man with the cybernetic mm-hmm. implants to allow him to see. Yeah,
0: Although he saw, we see in that episode where the Romulans take it over, he sees sort of a weird purple and green. Well, I guess until first contact and then he gets his his cool eyes with the the zoom lenses. He
1: basically gets these fancy contact lenses that let him see as better if not Better than the rest of the crew. Yeah, he uses it. He uses
0: the heat thing to find Zephram Cochran. Right. That's awesome. I, even without the heat vision, I would
1: love to have an optical zoom. I mean, just in my normal vision. I'd like heat vision, like Superman-style heat vision. Yeah. Now, being able to find the hot people in a room doesn't really throw me much, but being able to burn I mean... people... <laughs> two very
0: different definitions of hot uh no this so uh, it just this sounds like super exciting i want robot arms and a jetpack built in and maybe like you know the like basically everything you can get from google hololens but built into my face and also publicly accessible i'm so excited that we're alive in this time Uh so next on the list number four Uh, Speaking of the Supergirl TV show, big developments with that is it's hopping from it's from CBS to CBW or just CW? Just CW,
1: CBW yet?
0: Man, I don't know know about your kids (laughs) and your television.
1: Help me out with this. So, so uh, CBS is at least a part owner of the CW, and the CW has become almost like the DC Comics headquarters uh, as far as TV goes. They already have Arrow, Flash, Legends of Tomorrow, Supergirl. I'm not sure why exactly, but they decided to give it a shot on CBS when it started this year. They gave it a bigger budget, it wasn't being shot in Vancouver, it was being shot in LA, and when it first aired, it was getting massive ratings, it was huge. But then there was a bit of a drop-off from from week to week, and now it's at a point where the ratings don't really justify it surviving on a, a... uh, station like CBS you know CBS has NCIS and and CSI and they they're the kings of like there's so many acronyms in this yeah, conversation yeah the CBS is like the home of the highest rated shows that your parents love you know it's like they they tend to aim for our uh an older demographic anyway so Supergirl is a bit of an odd fit to begin with
0: it's sort of not as general an audience and not as like general a topic I guess it's sort of more of a niche
1: thing. Yeah, it, it definitely focuses in on, uh, you know, teen girls and, and young women. That was the, the, the audience they were gunning for. And that's, that's that's the CW. That's their audience for sure. You know, they've got, I think they've got Pretty Little Liars and Gossip Girl and, and all of those shows that, that, you know, your little cousin loves or So whatever. even if it
0: wasn't a superhero product, the yeah. tone of the show absolutely suits that. It. It's on that network. Yeah. The fact that all the other superhero shows, or all the DC ones, are already there, even more of a good fit for it, Yeah, it's home with all these other characters and such.
1: They already did a crossover with The Flash this season, where The Flash came over and was in an episode of of Supergirl, but I think they had to do some sort of like narrative backflips to make it make sense, and it was a one-way street. Supergirl didn't come back and appear on The Flash. But now, if they're all in the same network, and if they're all shooting... In the same building, basically. Like, like Greg Berlanti is the producer behind all these shows, and it, they it's like Berlanti-verse up there. Yeah. You know, yeah. there's like a, a block of studios now that are just reserved for his shows.
0: So once again, this is Geek Top 5 covering the age of the big team-ups.
1: Yeah. So we could
0: see a potential team-up of Supergirl, The Flash, The Arrow... Who Else
1: is on there and the Legends of Tomorrow, which is a, a team that sort of was cobbled together for TV of uh, the Atom, one of the Black Canaries, uh, Captain Cold, Heat Wave, uh, and Rip Hunter, and Hawkman and Hawk Girl. Although, it's oh. complicated, yeah,
0: yeah, that that would be tricky, but they're like they're characters I've actually heard of, so <laughs> <laughs> the... no offense to the, to the Legends of Tomorrow,
1: um, yeah, they're the Legends of Tomorrow. You haven't heard of them yet, Jesse. All
0: right, that's fair. But yeah, so now we have the potential that, oh man, so then if you're watching all four of these TV shows, and then all of a sudden they all start taking place in each other's television shows, like suddenly your Sunday nights are getting real busy.
1: Yeah, well they've they've already done crossovers, uh, like at least once a season, they do crossovers with Arrow and Flash, the the conceit of the show is that the cities are like a a train ride away from each other, and you know, for the Flash it's like, you know, a walk down Main Street to get to the other city, so they help each other out, and sometimes... And um, Legends of Tomorrow spun out of both shows. Characters that debuted on each of the shows are now on that show, uh, and so Supergirl can be part of that family. It'll make these sort of crossovers really work and click. And it's like if there if there's a one of these shows a night per week. Then you could have one story that starts on Monday and finishes on Thursday. And it's like, you don't have to wait till next week to find out what happens. You just have to turn in tomorrow night to find out what, uh, you know, how Doomsday is going to be thwarted by arrow which brings in an interesting point is you wonder what happens to the creative control in terms
0: of those shows like the people writing supergirl are not the same people writing arrow who are not the same people etc etc so does this essentially i mean and again this is all hypothetical whether these crossovers are actually going to happen i'm sure it'll work a lot like the comics where there's an occasional big event yeah and then back to their own plot arcs but in the case of that big event do all these writers
1: and producers get in a room together and come up with a whole big thing well, there are a couple of people who are the brains behind all of these shows. Uh, Greg Berlanti and I think Andrew Kreisberg are like the, the main guys who have credits on all the shows. There might be a few others. But they'll probably come up with the big ideas and then work with the specific showrunners of, of the four shows to make it work. Or, I have to think of it in like, in comic book terms. In the 90s, there were oftentimes these crossovers. Like big stories in the X-Men comics. And you had to read... You know, each continuing part of the story was in another one of the X-Men comics, so it's like part one's an X-Factor, part two's an X-Men part three's an X-Force, part four is an uncanny X-Men, and there would be a map and uh, you'd have to, the, the writers would just sort of plug in the dialogue and the plot would already be there, so I think that's probably sort of what we'd be looking at in this.
0: Right, okay. So in the sense that like, everyone can do their little bits, but they know the steps of where they have to be. Yeah. it's just how they get there is kind of up to how they feel their characters would
1: handle it best. Yeah, and it, I that's, think... That sounds like a really complicated way to run a, a television production. That's probably why they do it maybe once a season at most and the right. rest of the time they could focus on the stories of their characters.
0: But what a great way to tentpole your shows. Yeah. And just to draw in new audiences and, you know, like if Arrow. If you haven't been watching Arrow, but he shows up in Supergirl and does something awesome, you're going to go see what Arrow is about, and because it's the era of Netflix, you're going to go watch a whole season of Arrow. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's that, that. It's a great time to be in the television <laughs> business. That, yeah, I take it back. That sounds brilliant.
1: Yeah, and it's like. It, you know in the old days this would have been more difficult because reruns would happen in the summer like every once in a while now it's more like comic books where if you want to find out why the character acting a certain way or, or whatever you just go to your comic book store and get the back issues here you go to netflix or get the dvds or you know one of the canadian streaming services and, and you catch up on everything that you've missed it's it's a great idea mm-hmm.
0: So that's going to be starting, I guess, Supergirl, I guess the next season will be filming under this new thing? Yeah,
1: I'm pretty sure Supergirl is just uh, about to end its first season, and uh, yeah, so next September or October, we'll start seeing it on, well, we won't see it on CW because we don't get CW in Canada, but on CTV, we'll be able to see (laughs) Supergirl.
0: (laughs) And we'll see, and then shortly after that, I'm sure we'll see the first big television team-up event. That sounds
1: fantastic.
0: Coming on next to number three, speaking of the DC universe, unfortunately less happy news. Uh, The last couple of weeks we saw the unfortunate passing of Mr. Darwin Cook, um, who is, even if you don't know the name, you know him, he's the guy who draws DC like that. (laughs) I don't know exactly how else to put it. He's been responsible for a very distinctive art style over there that always has stood apart to me. What makes these characters what they are, and he's not just an artist either. He's been writing for a bunch of stuff too. Yeah,
1: he often is uh, writes his own work. He, he'll write and, and draw a story, and uh, he he was born in Toronto, so he's, he's you know he's close to our hearts. He's a Toronto boy like us, and he uh, started out as a storyboard artist on some of the, our favorite shows growing up, like the Batman animated series and uh, Superman. He did the intro to Batman Beyond. You know, we love Batman Beyond; it's great
0: all those early 90s sort of DC like what we think of as superhero cartoons the yeah. ones we want to go back to
1: and it's done you know Bruce Timm was like the the main artistic force behind a lot of those shows but as a storyboard artist he he took that style and, and made it sing you know he made it the day to day operations of, of some of those episodes that's all him that's his style and that's the style you see in his comic book work too it's it's there's I don't know how to describe it. He just puts so much into every panel. There's it's simple, but it's very evocative.
0: Absolutely, there's one of the things to, he did sort of towards the end of his life were these variant covers for a mm-hmm. lot of DC stories. Uh, we'll post some stuff on our Twitter or on our Facebook because it's a kind of like we could describe it to you, but yeah. it's art. You should go have a look. It's it just in a single frame, he tells this whole story yeah. about a character or characters. In such a way that it's so different from the usual cover. Yeah. Which is usually just, you know, it's a picture of someone posing and looking dramatic. And that's about all. I'm thinking of the stereotypical Liefeld, like, you know, with the huge (laughs) chest. And then just the title of the comic on top of it. Yeah. And hidden feet.
1: And it's like, Rob Liefeld is is a good example of a guy who, he's sort of self-taught and he's, he's, Found what he's good at, and he just does that over and over again. Darwin Cook has a s- distinct style, but if you look at these covers, every single one of them is different, and they tell a different story. Everyone's in a different pose, you know, it's not, there's no, like, one distinct Darwin Cook image in them, you know? It's not like it's the style is the same, but everything about it tells a different story, mm-hmm. even to different characters. Yeah. It's just everyone
0: looks like them. It's just even when he sort of goes like to apply his style to it, like you don't always expect Batman to be in a good mood, but he can draw Batman with a smile on his face, and you still sort of it still sort of feels appropriate. Yeah, it just it's his stylistically. It's a really well defined thing. I, I, for some reason, I just assumed from the style that it was older, that it was a more classical style of art. The lines are simpler, the colors simpler. It looks like, it looks like propaganda like art from the World Wars, right? Where it's got like a lot of bright colors and a lot of simple shapes. And it's, it, and I've always identified it with DC. It's something mm-hmm. that Marvel has never. Marvel to me has always been the really complicated really, like, overdrawn, really almost, I want to say realistic, but that's not the right word, but, like, the very detailed look. Sure. Where this was a lot more simple and a lot more clean, and I, I never knew his name until very recently. Yeah. But it just is, when all the stuff that I remember thinking that's cool, that was him.
1: Yeah, he's definitely, you know, influenced by people like Alex Toth, I think, and, and very uh, enamored with the Silver Age of DC Comics, and... That all came together in a book or a series that he did called New Frontier, and it was all about the Silver Age of DC Comics. And oh, Sorry, Silver Age, that's 80s-ish? No, that was or... the Bronze Age, okay. uh, which is a more controversial term. But anyway, the Silver Age is the 60s. The Golden oh. Age ended uh, in the 50s when... Superhero comics sort of disappeared and, uh, you know, Superman was, and Batman were still being published. But a lot of the other characters had, had disappeared. They, they had lost favor with the public. Silver Age is when they all came back. That's when the Hal Jordan Green Lantern appeared and the Barry Allen Flash. All the, uh, most of the DC characters that you, you or the versions of the DC characters that you know come from them. Uh, the 66 Adam West Batman is influenced by those books. Uh, they're they're more fun and um, a bit more dynamic anyway, that's the Silver Age mm-hmm.
0: uh, and New Frontier is like distilled Silver Age yeah,
1: yeah, and it, it's the more you read about it, the more you appreciate all the thought that went into it. you know all the characters uh, as they appear in the comic, that corresponds to when the character first appeared in the Silver Age. Batman might appear after Superman, but that's because Superman appeared in the comics before Batman did. And it just, they, they did an animated adaptation of it, and I remember seeing it at Anime North years ago, and I was just floored. This animated adaptation of this comic book was brilliant, and it told this fantastic story, and it's, it's become a must read you know DC does these huge collections of their biggest and most important stories called these absolute editions where they're oversized and they're hard covered they're slipcased they only really do it with really important or what they consider important stories like stories that that have changed comics in some way. And New Frontier was honored with, with one of those editions.
0: Right, we were just flipping through that a bit before this recording, and it's just, you can tell the difference between something that was made with so much passion and so much enthusiasm, yeah. and just when something really matters, Yeah, as opposed to just some one-off nothing. R.I.P. Darwin Cook... We appreciate everything you did. I mean, fortunately, it's not just us appreciating it. You got a bunch of awards. You got the Eisner Awards, and the Canadian equivalent is the the Schuster Schuster Award. Um, We'll miss you. But if you have a chance to uh, just, we'll we'll post some of this up. You should take a look. Some of it's great. Definitely. Switching away from the world of comic books of a sort, um, news came out uh, almost a couple weeks old now that Disney Infinity is shutting down. If you don't know what this is, this is going to blow your mind. If you do know what it is, you'll be with me. that You'll have no idea why it's shutting down. This is a type of toy that they call it the toys-to-life market. Uh, This started with Activision in 2011, and then Disney sort of jumped on it in 2013. Essentially what they do is they'll sell your kids a toy set um, it's Disney, so let's see. What do they start with? They started with The Incredibles, Monsters of the University, Pirates of the Caribbean. That's a good one. Yeah. So they'll start sell your kids a toy set. It's you know, the boat, and you'll have a Captain Jack toy. Right. But this playset plugs into your television or into your video game console, like a video game. So when the kid puts the Captain Jack down on the boat, Captain Jack appears on the screen, and you can play as Captain Jack and do Pirates of the Caribbean stuff. That's the whole toys-to-life part. By life, they mean video games, but it's essentially taking these figures and bringing them to life. Yeah. They're... It was a way of bridging, you know, old toys, like the way your grandparents played with toys, <laughs> and the way, you know, these darn
1: millennials in their electronical Vigema games play with toys now. They weren't action figures. They were, like, little immobile figures. Yeah. They're beautiful. They're they're great to look at, and, you know, we've got one or two of them just because they're they're nice to... Just because they're great figures. Yeah. They look like
0: good art on display. Um, the trick is that once you've bought that, you have the Pirates of the Caribbean set. But they'll also sell you other sets. Obviously, you could buy the Monsters University set. So now you have two sets, but you also now you have the the Mike Wazowski character and the Jack the Pirate character. Jack Sparrow. Jack Sparrow. But you can take both those characters and plug them both into one of the sets, and now they're playing together on screen. Right. You can see where this is going.
1: Yeah, it's like back in the day when you had a Transformers action figure, but you also had a Ninja Turtle action figure, and you combined the worlds. Now you can do it on your TV. Right. But
0: that wouldn't even wouldn't be so bad if it were just Disney. Because sure, it would be cool to have, you know, like Belle and the Beast work with Elsa from Frozen, work with Jack Sparrow. But you remember, Disney owns everything. Yeah. So the second wave of these toys was the Marvel wave. So now... You know, for the princess from Frozen can work together with Iron Man, right. who can work together with Jack Sparrow. Then, they released the Star Wars ones. So now, you can have the Gaston team up with Darth Vader to fight the Hulk, and, like... You, you see the problem here. So There's now, no problem. That's amazing. <laughs> the problem is that these sets were fifty bucks each, and they would sell you additional characters for like twenty bucks. Yeah. This thing was selling like hotcakes. Their initial investment now Disney doesn't release the numbers, but the estimates are that the initial investment for this was something like a hundred million. Uh, the sales went over, were over a billion. Yeah. So they spent ten percent of what they've earned on this. Like. This is the, like when I saw this, I said, "This is the devil's work," <laughs> because there's no way your kid is going to settle for just one of these. They're going to need all these characters and all of these sets, and it's going to cost mom and dad hundreds of millions of dollars to play this game.
1: No, I don't. Maybe the, you know better than I do when it comes to something like this. But I, I, my understanding was sometimes they do something like. You know there's an Aladdin mission that comes with the Aladdin figure and you can do it with Aladdin but it's a little easier if you've got you know Captain America who can jump a little higher than Aladdin maybe and he can get through it better so you get the Captain America one to help you beat that level and
0: yeah there's certainly elements like that and then there's just the elements of having all these characters play together right uh, it was making money hand over fist and then and they were gonna it was their big plans for this too and then Disney said nah, we're, we're not gonna do it anymore Right. And shocked the internet. <laughs> Essentially, what Disney has done, what people say is that just when like producing video games is hard. There's a lot of overhead. You need programmers. You need artists. You need mappers. You need environment specialists. And Disney is saying, you know what? Like we just we can't keep doing that. As much money as we're making, we're spending a fortune on it. We would rather license out our IPs to them to make video games anyway, and we're out of the toys f- to toys to life market.
1: I mean, it sounds like I mean Disney Infinity is the biggest thing that's getting axed here, but it sounds like they're getting rid of their whole video game division, right? Yeah,
0: Disney Interactive Studios was the thing. They will no longer self-publish games. Hmm. Uh, they're going to license out their IPs, which again, let's remember, includes Star Wars, includes Marvel Comics, includes all that stuff. Just to other companies, which is not rare. Like, that's sort of the way it's usually been done in the yeah. past. Even the most recent Star Wars video game, the IP was licensed out to DICE and to Electronic Arts to right. produce the game. But it seemed like this was such a huge cash cow. Apparently, they're just not interested.
1: Yeah, maybe... I mean, it sounds like revenues were starting to slide a little on it. There seemed to be... Uh, a, a bit more backstock at at stores like they the figures weren't selling as well as they had in the past and I, I think this was just like the tip of the iceberg like the very beginning of it but maybe disney saw that saw where the trend was going and decided to get out while the getting was good Yeah,
0: they took the safe bet essentially yeah. they've made a bunch of money and are stopping while they're ahead because of the chance that it might fail um Coming from, you know, someone who has played with some of these toys, just a little, <laughs> and also played with video games in general, bad call. Yeah. There's no way this could have failed every t- like, the collectible market, the collectible mindset is such a cash cow for yeah. these things. Like... You know, they were talking about the next round of these figures, you know, the Star Wars ones that were going to be the Rogue One ones, right? Mm. Everyone who watched Rogue One is going to want Rogue One toys. Yeah. Star Wars has always been about selling these toys. They could have made a fortune there. And other companies have seen the same way. Nintendo's Amiibo... They haven't even figured out how to get it off the ground. It's not nearly as complex and in-depth as Disney Infinity. But Nintendo's making as much money off of those Amiibo as they are off of video games. Mm-hmm. Like This is such a huge and emerging market, and I guess it's scary because it's a new one. Right. We don't know which way it's going to go. I'm betting it's not going to fail, and I feel like they're going to regret this move. But
1: I think the, the good news for us is that if we are... If we do want to do it, now there'll be cheaper copies of it, cheaper versions of the toys. Oh, see, that's what you think. But you
0: forget, these are collectors, (laughs) and these things are now out of stock.
1: Right, You are going to
0: see the Star Wars Force Awakens Ray Disney Infinity figure on eBay for at least (laughs) $1,200 next week. Guaranteed. Next week. Next week. week. Wow. As soon as the news went out, I bet you collectors hit the markets, bought up what they could. Right. The the same way people sell those old Star Wars lunchboxes for a fortune, this is going to be that times a thousand.
1: Interesting. Listen,
0: if you're listening to this podcast and you have kids who are into this thing... It's going to be expensive now, but you buy it now, because it's only going to be way worse later.
1: Right. Buy two. Keep one in package. Yeah,
0: keep one in the original packaging, sell it on eBay next year, make all your money back. It's (laughs) not a bad strategy. (laughs) Moving on to number one. Kind of speaking of a Disney-esque universe, an interview with the president of Nintendo, Tatsumi Kimishima, Uh, where he mentioned that Nintendo... How do you start with this? Nintendo has always been really protective of its IPs.
2: Right. Um,
1: By IPs you mean like their characters. Their characters and their, and their
0: intellectual property. Um, they got really big. They made a lot of, you know, successful stuff. There was a survey in the States, in a national survey in the early 90s that came out and said that more kids recognized the face of Super Mario than of Mickey Mouse.
2: Hmm.
0: Right? These characters are a big deal. So Nintendo jumped on that and they decided to get into the movie business. And in 93 they made the Super Mario Brothers movie. The results of which Nintendo never did anything with those characters ever again.
1: You know, it, they hired all the people that kids love Dennis Hopper, Bob Hoskins, John Leguizamo. Right, how could it fail? Yeah.
0: Oh, man, Th- that was one of the worst movies of all time. And ever since then, Nintendo has n- done nothing, it has let no one touch those yeah. characters. Once anything. burned,
1: twice shine.
0: Yeah. Until recently, we started to see, I don't know if you've been paying attention, but we started to see a lot more Nintendo merch flooding the market. Mm. But they're taking it now to the next level where he's saying they want to do movies and they want to do animated movies. Hmm. And I mean, like, to paraphrase Tychus Finley, you know, heck, it's about time. Nintendo characters, I compare them to Disney, like, because that's exactly what they are. It's a huge roster of characters who all have their own plot lines. You know, the Link and the Zelda characters have their own thing, and Super Mario and Princess Peach Toadstool and King Be- you know, Bowser all in their thing. Yeah, like, but they all come together to do all this other stuff in these games. There are tennis games, there are golf games, there are kart racing games. Nintendo has built up a whole world of these characters. Everyone loves doing all this stuff. The fact that they never thought to capitalize on this in movie form has been crazy. But he's come out in this interview, and like they were asking him, like, wait, you, you, you don't want to make live-action movies again, do you? And he said, well, we've done that before, so probably not a live-action one, Natch. Because we have IPs, we're thinking we could also do something like Disney or Pixar. It's something
1: to keep in mind as we make all this concrete. Okay, but here's here's my thought. Like, I don't think Mario works in in a live action setting. I'm sure with the right director and the right cast, it could work. But Zelda, that seems like a no brainer to do as a live action thing.
0: Maybe it could be. It's a very fantasy thing. But yeah.
1: but if you cut like worst
0: case scenario, it's about a guy with a sword fighting an evil wizard and he slays monsters. Something nothing very distinctive about that. What's distinctive about The Legend of Zelda are those characters and the situations and the environments that are just iconic to the series.
1: Wouldn't you like to see like, Hyrule in, in, in live action, you know? I don't know that it would be that good.
0: I mm. think where Nintendo shines is in that, you know, kid to young adult market where all this fun stuff can happen. I mean, it's not necessarily juvenile. Right. You know, there are some pretty serious situations in some of those games but the way that they can display them in their, in their signature format, and it really is one style. All the cutscenes, all the, you know, the video of what happens in these games, yeah. they all look the same. Because all these characters interact all the time, so they have to come from sort of the same world. Yeah. To do that in a movie would be tremendous. Do yourselves a favor, pop onto YouTube when you have a minute, and search for the intro to Mario Power Tennis. It's an old GameCube game, but it starts with this little six-minute vignette, just about you know the, a crazy adventure that happens to these characters obviously very tennis themed because it's trying to pitch you a tennis game but it's just this hilarious little cartoon that looks exactly like something Disney Pixar would produce but seeing a feature of that i mean everyone will go to see it these characters are hugely popular
1: and i think it would be absolutely charming see here's i'm the skeptical one here like i can't i can't wrap my head around it i i can't see myself going to a theater to watch what feel, like, might come off as, like, an hour-and-a-half-long cutscene.
0: Well, obviously, work has to be done to make sure it's entertaining to watch. Like, they run the... What's the worst? They run the risk of making an hour-and-a-half-long commercial. Right. Which would be pretty frustrating. Yeah. But I feel like there's enough character there, and there's enough just... How do I put it? I mean, they don't even use dialogue very often, but no. you just come to recognize the characters through their body language. You know, heroic Mario and cowardly Luigi. Right. Like, the two of them are always hilarious to watch together, and they're portrayed that way so consistently that it just it feels so natural. I would love to see it. Obviously, nothing has been very well confirmed. Uh, they even asked him specifically, what IPs are you doing, and he didn't want to focus on it. Uh, He was saying, I'm not saying it's going to be Super Mario. I'm only saying we'll put out something that everyone knows very well. Hmm. So what he's saying is they haven't made a decision. (laughs) This is all very early in the planning stages. But this feels to me like when Marvel decided to start making their own movies. Yeah. They decided, we have all this stuff. We can do better than this. We can make it exactly the way we want it.
1: So before they were bought by Disney, what they did is they took out a huge loan and used that money to make Iron Man. And it, it was a huge risk, but it paid off. They made that money back, and they were able to pay off the the loan, and everything worked out. Now, what is Nintendo doing to raise the money for this?
0: Uh, well, sadly, it's the end of a proud era in Nintendo's history. Um, after you know decades of the, of the best leadership t- has ever seen, Nintendo has finally decided to sell the Seattle Mariners. Excuse me? Right.
1: Exactly my
0: reaction. Did anyone else know that Nintendo owned the Seattle Mariners? And also,
1: why? <laughs> now, considering this is a geek-themed podcast, to be clear, the Seattle Mariners are a baseball team in Major League Baseball.
0: I, When I first read it, I did actually think football for a second. <laughs> Uh, no, I have no idea when that happened or why but that's where they're getting the startup capital for it and you know what if you happen to own a sports team that's pretty good bank so yeah,
1: yeah. they're making the right investment it's it sounds like they could make over a billion dollars from selling
0: it that'll finance a movie or two it, that'll do it So you know those of you Mariners fans who are going for the Super Mario caps you know my heart goes out to you yeah but to the rest of us really looking forward to what they're gonna be doing with this, I can't wait until I can go see. Just a CG, maybe not even a Super Mario movie, maybe just a Nintendo characters world movie.
1: I mean, I, I a, would be thrilled. Wreck It Ralph seemed to be a good teaser for this—a great Pixar or Disney, I guess, uh, animated movie about video game characters. A lot of the Nintendo characters cameoed in that. Yeah, it's a can, bit of a teaser, right?
0: It, fingers crossed! It only leads to better things from there. Yeah. You've been listening to Geek Top Five. We'll be right back with our guest segment. So stay tuned. We'll talk to you again in a moment.
1: We're back with more Geek Top 5. This week, we've got Mr. Eric Keeley with us. Famed comicsologist. Yes. I wouldn't go that far. From the Hill of
0: Thorns in the north.
1: (laughs) Reader, aficionado, some might say expert. In fact, let's do it. He's an expert. What do you got for us this week, Eric, for a Top 5?
2: Well, this week I have the Top 5 Worst Superhero Movies Since 2000. Okay. I wanted to put that on there because there's a lot of really, really awful superhero movies, and it was very difficult to narrow it down even after 2000. <laughs> but.
0: <laughs> so you had to say so. These are the most terrible ones that we probably still remember, whether we like it or not.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, 2000 was when the big like boom started after X-Men. So I'm like, okay, let's just this is a good jumping ah, point.
0: You're right. That is a good jumping point. Yeah. That that X-Men movie was when we sort of hit the modern era of this stuff. Love that X-Men movie. See, expert. He thought this thing through.
2: <laughs> yeah. I see what you did there.
0: x
1: pert Yeah. Yeah. All right.
2: All right, Eric. What do you got for us at number five? Okay. So number five. Is Ghost Rider from 2007, so this is the movie about uh, Johnny Blaze, who is a daredevil. Uh, but not, a, the not the daredevil. yeah, I was gonna say not the daredevil. <laughs> Wait, he's an
0: actual daredevil.
2: <laughs> yeah, he's an actual daredevil. An
0: actual in the comic, or it's fake, but
2: <laughs> so but, he's right. like he's like evil Knievel. uh He basically goes from being a 17-year-old young handsome guy to a hideous monster that looks like Nick Cage. Uh, oh, oh. oh. I, know, I know.
0: You mean know. Sir Nick Cage? Yeah, Sir so Nicholas
2: Cageless. Okay. So um, he. It also stars Eva Mendez and Sam Elliott and Wes Bentley, who plays Blackthorn, uh, terribly. All
1: right. Eva <laughs> uh, Mendez, though, that's got to make up for some of this, right?
2: It. Mm, I wouldn't say that.
1: <laughs> that much. Huh? Wow.
2: But really, it. There's a part in this movie where it flashes forward one year and he goes from 17 to Nick Cage.
0: Ah, that's unfortunate.
2: One year? Yeah. Wow. That's
0: so, a rough living. So wait, is Nick Cage playing like an 18-year-old? Is that? That's
2: what I'm led to believe, but I somehow can't buy it.
0: Wow, wait. yeah, probably because of the bald spot. That's yeah. a start. Well,
2: no, 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 but they cover that up with the most fantastic-looking wig. Ah, Yeah.
0: wig. Mm-hmm. And he- then they take it back off and make it a skull. Yeah. Okay.
2: A flaming skull though. So Well, yeah, listen. That's something.
0: I mean, to be fair, everything I know about Ghost Rider comes from Marvel vs. Capcom. Okay. But what I understand from that is that he's a skeleton with a skull is on fire and sort of a leather he's got a leather jacket and also like a motorcycle that is kind of a skull motif and it's also on fire and he hits people with a chain. It seems like that's pretty hard to mess up.
2: Well, somehow they find a way.
1: It's it gets it's a little more complicated cuz he's like this spirit of vengeance from hell, and he's trying to... He makes a
2: deal with Mephisto, who's the devil in uh, Marvel, but they don't want to call him the devil, so they call him Mephisto. Oh, so
0: Mephisto is Mephistopheles. That's what... Oh, I just put that together. (laughs) Okay.
2: Uh, So he makes a deal to save his father, and then his father ends up dying anyway in, like, a few days... So that doesn't really seem worth it.
0: Is that a flaw in the writing or is that like the devil because like, he always screws you out of these deals like is that supposed to be?
2: I, I think uh, that he just dies of like a disease or something so it was gonna happen anyway. I could uh, you could
1: read it either way. I okay. think I, I'm gonna give the writers the benefit of the doubt and say that it was an intentional, you know tricky devil business.
0: Okay, but as a result of making this deal with the devil, uh, so the, wait so he sells his soul to save his father, fails. But still ends up with awesome flaming skullhead yeah. motorcycle. The
2: idea is, as long as he's alive, he has to now work for the devil to do his bidding, and kind of like a, a hitman who goes after evil souls and sends them to hell. But this only happens at night.
1: He's kind of wait, what? I
2: think he's, exactly.
1: That's mainly movie version, right? Yeah, this is
2: the movie version. Okay, I'm, I'm not talking about the comics though. Right?
1: right? He's sort of he's sort of like a, a Satan's bounty hunter, right? Yeah. So wouldn't he be going after good souls? No, because no, good souls no. can't go to hell, so he's trying to get the bad souls. But aren't they going to hell anyway? Be making it faster, I guess. I don't know. It's be- it's a Nicolas Cage movie. You're looking too deeply here. Yeah,
2: Nicolas Cage really wanted to play Superman, though, right? Well,
1: that's true. And now
2: he gets to finally be a superhero.
0: <laughs> I, I'm under the impression that he's sort of a Ghost Rider fan, too. Like, isn't he just
1: a big comic he's guy? He's a big comic guy. I mean, the yeah, last th- name Cage comes from Luke Cage. Who yeah, is... and
2: I think he actually does have a Ghost Rider tattoo, I don't know where. Okay, I I so... Really did
1: he have right. it before the movie, or... or? I, I never asked. That's Probably. a bit of a... That's an important question. Well, is it
0: part of the character's costume? I guess not. It would be like Optimus Prime having an Optimus Prime tattoo. Yeah.
1: Except it would be a bumper sticker. Right,
0: yeah. Easier to take <laughs> off. Okay, so, this concept is ridiculous, the character is silly, and he doesn't seem like he has any motivation that makes any sense. Uh, is that all of it, or is the movie continue to be terrible for other reasons?
2: Honestly, not that much even happens in this movie. It's pretty much just uh, Mephisto makes him the Ghost Rider, and then he needs to fight Black Thorn, Black Thorn, which is Mephisto's son, played by Wes Bentley, who throws hissy fits the entire movie instead of being intimidating.
1: Huh. And Wes Bentley is not the actor I would cast if I wanted hissy fits. He just seems like a very quiet, reserved guy in most of the stuff he plays. Yeah. So hissy fits do not immediately spring to mind. Like he's in. American Beauty, and he's in the uh, Hunger Games and stuff like that, right? Watching
2: the most beautiful bag he's ever seen. Ah,
1: Anyway, off topic. So, yeah, interesting casting. How's Eva Mendez doing this movie?
2: She does what she usually does in movies, you know. uh, Looks good, acts bad. Oh. (laughs) I know, I'm not a very nice person.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Uh, so how about uh, special effects? the 2007... Yeah, flaming skull, flaming motorcycle effects hold up, or are they part of the problem?
2: Uh, At this point, they're part of the problem. I don't know if they were that great in 2007 either. Um, I don't remember being impressed when I saw it in 2007,
0: Doing the, the prep research for this podcast, I took a look just at the stills. They even look pretty silly. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's um, it like it has got shades of Beast Wars to it. Like, wow, yeah, yeah old... it's really
2: like shiny.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. What yeah. I don't know what the I don't know enough animation terms to describe it, but it's very it's very shiny and very stark. Like very clearly does not belong in this live action world. Okay, it's
1: very strange. All right, Eric, so uh, how many uh, flaming skulls out of five would you give uh, Ghost Rider?
2: I believe I gave it one and a half flaming skulls.
1: Okay. I, and one flaming skull, that's still, that's still yeah, pretty I, rad. I've but... got
2: to wonder if a flaming skull is worth more than a regular skull. <laughs> it's, it's hard to <laughs> check.
0: What's the exchange rate on flaming skulls these days? Maybe, I think know. it's worth like 50 yen.
2: I'll check my app and I'll get back to you. <laughs> Fair
0: enough. All right, moving on. What's number four? So
2: number four is Daredevil. Uh, an interesting note is that Daredevil was actually directed by the same person who directed Ghost Rider.
0: Huh. Ah, I, I, I sense a trend also, now. Just to clarify, this is Daredevil, the the feature film, not the recent television yeah. show that people actually yeah. like. This is the the Affleck Garner, like they have the dance fight scene in the playground, yeah. right? Yes, yes.
2: that's yeah. it's the two thousand three movie. Uh, that as a uh, child, I was looking forward to.
1: You know, I remember at that time, but comic book movies were in short supply, so yeah. I remember being pretty excited. They were still just the hearing movie. about it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's you know all the casting announcements. Even ones where they didn't quite seem to make a ton of sense, you were willing to forgive it just because yeah. it was it was a comic book movie, it was a superhero movie, and, and I was ready for anything.
2: Yeah, they have uh, Colin Farrell playing Bullseye in it, acting completely ridiculous.
1: It's like he popped in from another movie, right? Yeah.
2: I, and I remember when it was coming out, they had all these um, people saying, like critics saying, oh, Colin Farrell, he's so excellent in this movie and I watch it and he's just he's he's a cartoon character
0: yeah he was very comic he he, he, he should have been in a Warner Brothers movie it was very strange for a villain Yeah. Um, to be fair Kingpin in that movie was pretty
2: cool yeah Michael Clark Duncan was good
0: yeah Yeah. now and then I guess the the big crux of it (laughs) were Daredevil and Elektra yeah oh yeah the uh (laughs) the ev- Man,
2: <laughs> they had this evanescence uh, montage where "Bring Me to Life" was playing, and uh, Electra is swinging around her size and like
0: right. That's when she hates him, yeah, and she wants revenge, yeah. and right, and she has like a training montage, training montage where
2: she attacks all these uh, like sandbags. balls
0: of sand. Yeah, right, right. I, you know, and the thing is, what I remember about this movie, what really stands out to me is that the Daredevil character was so terrible. Um, I didn't believe it. I didn't believe the costume. I didn't believe the action. Anything. I remember, though, I really liked the Matt Murdock character. Hmm. Like, him playing the lawyer with, um... What's the sidekick's name? Foggy, Foggy Nelson. Foggy Nelson. I thought that was a blast. They had, like, the, the repartee between the two, the yeah. chemistry they had, I thought was really good. And it's... I mean, you know, obviously, this is one of those movies, like, in comic book movies, this is the one you point to and say, that was the bad one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But I want to make that case. I think he did a really good Matt Murdock.
1: I would say, I mean, that's where Affleck really shines yeah. you know he's got uh he's got charm coming out as his, his bat fleck he's like a <laughs> he's a he's he's got a lot going for him and sometimes it gets uh hidden behind brooding and angst or poorly choreographed seesaw fights
2: oh that's the next thing i was actually going to mention <laughs> <laughs> thanks for reading my mind so, so. in this movie electra she meets a blind man in a coffee shop and then they proceed to have a Huge fight sequence in a playground.
0: But for no... Like, they weren't actually fighting, though. It was played off like it was a way that they were flirting?
2: Yeah, it was a weird um, martial arts flirt session. Yeah. In in a playground, a a trained assassin fighting who she believes is a blind man.
0: He is blind. No, I mean, remember, the line from the movie, he's blind, but he has developed a (laughs) radar-like sense.
2: That's the line How's in you the do? movie. That is
0: the actual line.
2: <laughs> oh, you, So it's a line in the movie, not the tagline. Because that's quite, you know... Okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, not the tagline. But he actually <laughs> says that out loud in the yeah, movie. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. So, uh, now, it's been a while since
1: I've seen it, but it, it's uh, well-established in the comics and even in the new TV series that uh, Daredevil and Elektra have this... Fraught past I don't remember Was that part of the the Storyline Not
2: not in the movie They have met for the first time They start a short relationship Then her father dies And she blames Daredevil for it Because he was standing On a roof When Bullseye Killed her father Or something like
0: that No Bullseye He took Daredevil's Stick thing and yeah, he yeah, used it to f- kill yeah, her father. Flame, yeah, he flame, yeah. Yeah, and then she sees his stick thing, and she's, oh, the daredevil did it. So you, you actually like,
2: remember better than I do. <laughs> it just burned
0: into my brain you like know, a wound.
2: We saw that movie together, I think. Probably there was a point in the. I remember because there was a point where it was so terrible. Um, the, daredevil was a kid, and he's like flipping over bullies after he gets his powers, and we look at each other like, "What? What is this? What are we watching?"
1: We knew even then. I feel like uh, on the way back from that movie. I was the the one being like, no, no, it wasn't so bad, guys. I feel like I, I maintain that, that status to this day for the most part. In discussing any movie, I'm usually the one who's like, oh, it had some good parts. No, this
0: one, oh, it, did, yeah. it, it, it did so much so poorly. And there were so many arcs. Yeah. There's, he meets Elektra, and, then, and now she's mad at him, and then they fight, and then it's okay again. And then he has to fight the Kingpin, and then she's dead, but then she's not. And I... It was like years worth of comic book material crammed into an hour and a half. So poor. It just seemed so overstuffed.
2: Old movies, uh, not old movies, sorry. Old comic book movies, like the early 2000s comic book movies, always tried to do that. They would always try and cram in as many of the famous comic book moments as possible, even if they didn't really serve the story. Right. It's always a mishmash with those earlier ones. I find now they do it a lot better.
0: Well, I mean, now they've realized they can sell more comic book movies, so it's okay to spread some of that out. I mean, yeah. except for Batman versus Superman, you know, right? have to, yeah. Yeah. yeah, but let's put uh, it this way: Marvel has found out <laughs> that they can yeah. make yeah. more comic you know book what? movies.
2: I, I have not seen Batman versus Superman. Wow. I feel like it might have on this list had I seen
0: it. We we don't need to worry about it. We did a whole <laughs> shtick on it on another one.
1: <laughs> uh... I and I just wanted to say one other thing about the casting of it. Uh, like you said about Michael Clark Duncan, Duncan did a good job. Ben Affleck was good as Matt Murdock, a little more questionable as Daredevil. Jennifer Gardner. Seems like a really strange choice to yeah. play Electra. Electra's yeah. in the comics anyway is an assassin. She's had a rough life. She's a badass. She's all mystical. Jennifer Gardner just seems way too nice yeah. no she, matter what.
0: She screams romantic comedy no yeah. matter what she's doing. And that's yeah. always how they shoot her too. Yeah. Like she's like every She's always amazed and pretty. Yeah. It's just, yeah, it
1: really didn't work. And then they gave her her own spin off movie. Yeah. It's like taking the weakest part of this movie and deciding to do a whole movie about it.
2: And yet another movie that might have made my list had I actually seen it.
0: Like, I did see it. Don't worry about it. You are not missing much. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's move on. What's
1: next on the list? What's next, number we three?
2: Have Man of Steel, directed by Zack Snyder. Hmm.
1: Uh, hmm. I feel like so, this might be a contentious part of the list for some people.
2: Mm, so I would say that this movie is super bleak, it's super boring, uh, it's super self serious. <laughs> Uh, Do you know what's not in here? Superman. Superman. Yeah. No Superman to be found in this movie.
0: (laughs) He did fight a tentacle monster, though. So I mean, I hear that sells really well overseas.
1: (laughs) It depends what the tentacle monster is doing.
0: Fair enough. Can I I ask you, is that supposed to be a Brainiac reference? I've had someone tell me that's a Brainiac reference. Brainiac does have Um, tentacles,
1: but uh, I I feel like that would be a stretch.
0: I just I don't even understand why he did that in that movie. At one point in the movie, they have to stop. You know, the Doomsday Machine. But the Doomsday Machine splits into is, is two parts. There's two parts to it. Right. And Superman has to fly to one side of the Earth, and he fights the tentacle thing for a while, and then he comes back right. to fight the other one. What purpose did that serve like in terms of cinema?
1: I mean, there's a lot of questions like that when it comes to the Man of Steel. Well, let's let's go into some background on, on it. Zack Snyder, like you said, it's, uh, it was supposed to be the launch of DC Cinematic Universe to yeah. rival Marvel's, and yeah, it did launch... Something. Something. It, it, was this
2: before or after Green Lantern? After. Was it? So mm. wasn't that technically supposed to launch it then? Because that was originally part of their canon until it was horrible.
0: I uh, see I didn't know that. I didn't know that it was part of this what what Gawker is referring to as the DC murder verse. <laughs> I thought the Green Lantern was separate from it and that Man of Steel was the first one. Um
1: they definitely don't don't reference each other at all do no, they? No,
2: no and their tones are completely off. Yeah. Like uh Green Lantern was a like, goofy, more like, you know, more like Daredevil or Ghost Rider.
0: Yeah, that movie I feel like it wouldn't fit in with the bigger things. But we digress. So Man of Steel it's very difficult to see what they were trying to accomplish. I guess they were going I mean they're going for that gritty realism. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of shots in it that were very sort of not quite shaky cam but documentary like. Yeah. Uh-huh. It, it, it's sort of
1: like like you know look at what's happening and you know say what you will about Zack Snyder. There's a lot you can t- say ill about his work but i would say that his cinematography
2: is gorgeous he he's like a great that trailer for man of steel was oh, breathtaking that trailer was amazing yeah. i loved it i was so excited to see this movie and then after the movie i i don't even know what i was thinking at the see, time
0: see i agree with you the trailer was pretty but i was looking at it going like i don't know it doesn't feel like superman it, right it
2: didn't... No. Well, because there was. he didn't act like Superman in any way, shape, or form. Right. He didn't save... I know it's been said by lots of people. I don't want to go into stuff everyone already knows. But he didn't save anybody in this movie. In fact, he causes so much of the destruction that is killing innocent people. And he doesn't even try to stop it.
0: Yeah. Now... Snyder has come out and said that that was the point. Oh, he says and that's, that's the point now. Well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, maybe after the fact, that's a save. At like, the
2: end of the movie, sorry, to, I'm not trying to cut you off, but at the end of the movie, after all that destruction, uh, they flat, they flash forward to a year later, Clark Kent decides he wants to start the Daily Planet. He goes in and he's smiley with Lois, and Lois is like, Oh, I recognize you, Teehee. It's not like we just had a 9-11 attack. <laughs> yeah, it's... Everything's it, hunky-dory. Did, don't I also remember
0: yeah. him, like, punching a satellite out of the air for no reason? Yeah. It was played off as a joke?
2: He threatens uh, the government. Yeah. So, yeah. Superman, who's supposed to, you know, um, I can't even do the line. What's the line? Truth, Thank justice, you, and Truth, the justice, way. and the American way while I threaten the American soldiers.
1: Yeah. He's, uh, it's, a, a lot of people who aren't comic book fans, aren't really Superman fans, tend to like the movie as, and say it's like a gritty, real version of, of a superhero. Yeah. But that's not what I want to see in Superman as, as a fan of the comic books, you know? He, there are plenty of, of in comic book universe, versions of that character to sort of do these dark spins on it. But it's never done with Superman because it just doesn't work.
2: No, Superman it's not, it, whereas, in, it's not true to his character at all. Yeah.
0: yeah, Superman is the hero. He's the one who's always playing light side, who always makes the <laughs> paragon decisions... And like, he's he's the one you look to for the ideal. Yeah. And all the dark and gritty and realistic, quote-unquote, heroes, you know, wish they could be him.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, that's why him and Batman work so well as a unit, because they play off each other in that yeah. way.
1: Opposites attract. Yeah. Which doesn't happen in Batman versus Superman. <laughs>
2: no, apparently not. Vers-
1: Again, another movie. I know, I know.
0: But, yeah, like, the Superman myth, almost taken away from this character now and just become the ideal of, you know, what we all wish we could be. That's what everyone goes to Superman for. That's what, like, in the universe, that's what the other characters go to Superman for. Is they say, Superman, what's the right thing to do here?
1: Yeah, he's the best of us, you know? Mm-hmm. He's he's what everyone should yeah. be striving to be.
0: And not having that in this movie, it just, you know, it, it's, you know it's, it's, you, it's, you when you're a kid. You reach a point in your life where you realize your parents can't protect you from everything. It was that feeling again. <laughs> it was just that, like, if this is Superman... Like, like I'm, then my moral compass is based on nothing. It's it yeah. crazy. It was, it's just, it's so sick. It, it could have been, like, maybe it is technically a well-put-together movie, but it was just such a letdown.
2: Yeah, and it takes itself so seriously.
0: Yeah. yeah. I mean, let's not forget, the guy wears a cape. Like, yeah. at some point, tell it, somebody throw a pie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, the question is, if you separate it from all this baggage that we're carrying as comic book fans, is it an okay movie?
2: I don't even think so, because... The uh, well, I was going to say the end of the movie, but technically the middle to the end of the movie, which is all a long action sequence, I was wishing for it to end. It was incredibly it was boring for a long really time. Really boring. Yeah. All it is is buildings being destroyed. Zod's got one move. Punch Superman through another building.
0: Oh, and, the, and the human characters are in the plane for oh, like 14 man. years, yeah. flying to Zod's ship doing that's, nothing.
2: That's another thing. Okay, so uh, Zod's minions, they come out and they're like, we want to take Lois Lane with us on this ship. For what reason? No reason whatsoever. Just to serve the plot to have Lois in a situation where she can sabotage it or yeah. something.
0: So no, it wasn't a very good movie, <laughs> even aside from all this baggage.
1: <laughs> Alright, so what's uh, what's next? next? What do we
2: got? Next we have X-Men Origins Wolverine. Right.
1: Uh, another one that I was really looking forward to and led down by. Yeah, another one that got a little overstuffed plot-wise. Oh, yes. <laughs>
2: This has everything in it.
0: Now, this was directly inspired by the Origins comic arc, correct?
2: The first 5 minutes of it is. Well, yeah. <laughs>
1: okay. other than that, I mean, the Origins as far as a uh, storyline goes is purely about Wolverine as a very little boy to when he's maybe 15. It's like a very stark origin. This is yeah. more about
2: It's more about the Weapon X program. Yeah. Right? Even though it right. has nothing to do with the Weapon X program beyond having the title Weapon X.
1: Yeah. Movie. Yeah, it's uh it's it's was an interesting attempt. I remember being excited when they announced it cuz you know, we'd get to see uh, an early time in Wolverine's life, which was always appealing to me as a comic book mm-hmm. fan, and the uh director was just coming off having won uh, an Oscar for best foreign language film, I yeah. think.
2: He's since directed uh Ender's Game, didn't he? I think so. Yeah. yeah Gavin so, Hood?
0: but he went from best foreign film to comic book action adventure. I mean, you got to take that paycheck. But I, <laughs> I'm just saying, like, if I won a prize for baking delicious cakes, it wouldn't immediately qualify me for like high speed downhill skiing.
1: Hey, man! It seems like that's the way it works with these big movies right now. Like the guy who did Jurassic World, his only other credit was uh, an indie. Yeah. Jokey time travel maybe. Oh, movie. Uh,
2: safety not guaranteed. Yeah, yeah.
1: And uh, the director of um, Amazing Spider-Man One and Two, his only other credit is Five Hundred Days of Summer. So they mm. go from these indie things to these huge things, and sometimes it works, and sometimes mm. it doesn't.
0: In this case, it didn't. Yeah. Um, you're right. Way too much happened in this movie. Um, they covered way too much periods of his life. Everything went by too, too fast. Yeah. It was far too under budget.
1: Yeah, um, there was also. Uh, I don't think the director was actually a fan of the source material, so a lot of the how characters, could you be
2: when you present a movie like that? Yeah,
1: a lot of the characters are nothing like what they are in the comics to the point where you're like, well, why even bother? Not only calling the character by that name if he's going to be completely different.
2: Not only are they nothing. I know you're talking about Deadpool there, right? Yeah, That's where <laughs> yeah. was we're,
0: we're, or, we're all circling around the Deadpool.
1: Yeah, you're right.
2: Yeah.
0: Now to be fair, like you know the, the recent Deadpool movie even circled the Deadpool oh, hole. Yeah. The best part <laughs> of that
2: movie is that they had the little uh, yeah the figurine, figurine of the Deadpool
0: from origins, yeah, yeah the yeah. merc with a mouth and so they gave him no like then so sort of, like, yeah. no yeah. mouth and gave him all these new powers yeah. and no character and at all. I just like wow,
1: yeah, and then maybe killed him off at, at the yeah. end of the movie. Yeah, it was right. just so so random
2: not only did they change the characters but they put them in time periods where it didn't even make sense for them to be. They had Gambit in there when, like, what was it, the 80s or something when he met Gambit?
0: Now, to be fair, if they're creating their own new cinematic universe, like the X-Men cinematic universe,
2: that's okay. I'll let them
0: play with that as long as they stay consistent. Or at least stay true to the character. At least stay true to the character. I mean, geez, what an underuse of Gambit. yeah. Wouldn't you love to see more of Gambit in these movies? And they threw him away. He wasn't even in the whole movie. He was like a like a companion character mm-hmm. in a Skyrim. He was a
1: sidekick at yeah.
0: best, briefly. Yeah, like he he doesn't like he shows up in the middle of the second act and then he's gone again.
1: Yeah, you
2: know what this movie is good for? It's good for giving those characters who got treated really badly their own movie years later. Yeah, Gambit's gonna get his own movie now too.
1: Well, good. I'm glad to hear it. Hopefully, they'll make any jokes about it too, like like yeah. Deadpool did. Yeah.
0: Now, from what I understand, even Hugh Jackman has come out and said that, yeah, he was really
1: disappointed in himself in that movie. Like, no, he was just in himself. That's just because Hugh Jackman is too nice a guy to, to blame the director for it. Yeah. But okay. we're not that nice. It's the so, director's point. So you lay
0: all this on the director?
1: I think so. I mean, I think one of the things that's good and bad about the Marvel Cinematic Universe, as it's called these days, is that there's these strong guiding voices above the director. So there's an element of consistency between all of the movies.
2: Isn't that what drove Joss Whedon mad, though?
1: It is, it is. And I love Joss Whedon, and I would love to see a movie where he had unfettered access to the characters to do whatever he wanted. But if you're going to want to have a consistent universe where things that happen in one movie affect things that happen in another, I appreciate that there are people who are guiding the, the franchises and so that they're there's no possibility of an X-Men Origins Wolverine because that movie... Just took all these uh, disparate elements of the the X Men books and tried to cram them in, and there was no mm-hmm. guiding voice who was caretaking those characters to say, "Hey, maybe we should hold off on Deadpool, because yeah. that's not how we want him to be portrayed." Well,
2: they just wanted to throw as many cameos in there as they could.
1: Yeah,
0: it seems like they were pressing the fan service button again and yeah. again and even, again. Even
2: Cyclops shows up in that movie to do yeah, what, shoot his lasers. He's in the behind. prison right. with
0: Emma, who's maybe not Emma Frost. Yeah, and yeah. he's.
1: It, Storm in there too.
2: I don't. I think she's in a deleted scene.
1: Right. Okay. Yeah.
2: It's a. It's a mess. Saved Halle Berry. Well, good. Good for them. <laughs> it's just, I mean, that is a noble effort. Yeah, I would
0: do it. Anyway, so number one.
2: Number one with a bullet is the spirit. Okay.
0: Yeah. I need some background on this. I hadn't <laughs> even heard of the spirit. The movie
2: or the character? Both. All so, right. The so the help spirit- me out here. The Spirit is one of the original comic book superheroes. I think he actually predates Superman as like a costumed hero. So this is like a
0: Mystery Men
1: yeah. era. Okay.
2: He, he was created by Will Eisner. They have the Will Eisner Award for excellence. Yeah, in Will comic. Eisner is amazing. He
1: he is the one of the definitive founders of the comic book medium from the 30s. You know, it's like him and arguably Bob Kane and you know Joe Schuster and uh, I
0: don't know any of these people. Jack Kirby. Okay. That one I actually heard. There you read. go. Alright. <laughs> anyway, so what is the spirit?
2: Alright, so the spirit is a cop and he dies and he comes back as the spirit to fight criminals. There's not really that much to So he's him. a ghost. He's He's not maybe It's hard to ghost. explain. He's not really a ghost. He, but he's he, not even a zombie. It's hard to really
1: explain his powers. The the question's about whether he even actually died, you know, it's just sort yeah. of like He's, he could be pretending the, But the, the thing is It's a pretty light comic And the idea of, of trying to Like find out the, the truth of his origin Is not in the spirit If you will Of the character He's just supposed to be Fun and goofy And and a little slapstick But also with a, a Sort of noir edge to him
0: Now see that's interesting Like fun and goofy And noir Don't seem to go together And from what I've seen In this movie The fun and goofy Did not make it in
2: uh, Well the goofy made it in Unintentionally I
1: question that. I saw it yesterday. There's there's an element of goofiness in there that's intentional, but Frank but Miller He is... doesn't know how to handle the material no. at all.
2: So th- we should say, this movie is written and directed by Frank Miller. Frank Miller, uh, who wrote The Dark Knight and various other very famous Batman he's, comics. He's a
1: comic book legend, and he got uh, the chance to co-direct the uh, Sin City, the first Sin City movie with mm-hmm. Robert Rodriguez and uh, I think it may have gone to his head a little bit. Oh, or I'd say so. Maybe he had too much free reign because of Rodriguez, because uh, when let loose, it's just not what you want from a spirit movie. I no. don't know that anyone wanted a spirit movie, but I if they did, it wasn't did. this.
2: I, mean, I shouldn't say I, don't I think anyone did. And that's
1: but. what I'm saying. I've never heard of this character. Why is it a movie?
2: I think that they were just looking for a comic book movie to make, and they're like, okay, no one's heard of this. I can do what I want, right?
1: Well, I did some uh, a bit of research. It's like... You know, one of Will Eisner's few creations that uh, had some value. You know, some merit that that he could be sold and turned into a movie. It's a cool character, and in the right hands, it could be pulled off well. But it's Frank Miller was not the the right guy to entrust with
2: this. Well, no, because he turned it into Sin City. Yeah, everything Frank Miller has done since Sin City has essentially been Sin City.
0: So that so yeah, so what happened here? So it's a goofy idea. But they decided to make it very dark and stylized.
2: Super, yeah, super gritty and stylized. It's like watching 300 or Sin City. It's right. the same exact... You know, Everything is black except for a red tie or blood. So my, my
1: take on this is Frank Miller's coming from a world of comic books where it's totally normal for a, a comic book artist to take on someone else's character and put that character in their own style. You know, he did it with Batman in the Dark Knight books. He did it with Daredevil. He's done it in a ton of stuff. And he does it and people cheer him for it. They applaud him for it because he takes these characters and puts a new spin on them and makes them interesting in a way that they haven't had a chance to be previously. If he had done this with the spirit in a comic book, maybe it would have worked better because the comic book fans are a bit more open to that. But when you take material that nobody really... Knows that much of, and you put it into a film, I think, at least for the first one, you want to be trying to be as true to that character as possible. But if nobody knows the character, does it matter?
2: I don't think it matters if you've done it well.
0: Uh, and that's what I'm getting yeah. at. Like, yeah. I can't put my finger on exactly what it is that, that failed in this. It just, none of it seems to make any sense.
2: Well, that's, yeah, it's, it's an incredibly convoluted plot. I don't even think I understood what the plot was when yeah. I was watching it.
0: I still don't understand what the spirit is. Well, exactly
2: and he the villain in this movie is played by Samuel L. Jackson his character is named the Octopus and the only thing you know about him is that he's the Octopus because he has eight of everything that's the only thing you really know about him as to why he's the Octopus
1: the other thing about it is it falls into that same trap that we've talked about with some of these other movies where it tries to cram way too much stuff from the comics into it there's uh, Sans Serif there's uh, Ellen Dolan, his girlfriend. There's, uh, uh, what is it, Plaster of Paris. There's Pegel, I think her name is. There's you know like more put... of these characters than I do, Well, I saw it last night, so that, <laughs> oh, that, that, that helps. You. But uh, there's all these characters who each had their own storylines in the comics, and they try and dram them all into mm-hmm. one story, and it's too much. You just are constantly bombarded by new characters. You can't keep track of who's who or what their role in the plot is. It's, uh... It's overwhelming. It's like yeah. if it had just been the spirit and uh, the octopus, maybe you could have done something with it.
2: And um, Sans Serif, the character you just mentioned, is played by Eva Mendez of Ghost Rider fame. Yeah. Uh, We're getting
0: some <laughs> common themes through these bad yeah. lists.
2: Yeah. And um, her character is uh, the spirit's girlfriend in the past and now is an assassin, which also seems very familiar. Maybe Electra, also done by Frank Miller. Right. And so- I think. <laughs>
1: Sansarev in the comics, if my research holds true... Was didn't really have that connection to no. the spirits past in the comic. So it's just something about these tragic
0: hero things where their girlfriends have to be assassins. Yeah. I guess at least when Frank Miller creates them, yeah. Or well, works when, on when them. Frank
2: Miller makes them, they have to either be assassins or ladies of the night.
0: Yeah. This is a lot more about Frank Miller, I think, than it is about comic book movies. <laughs> yeah. Eric, thank you for joining us and tell, advising us on how to save our money. Thank
2: you for having. Because
0: <laughs> I'll admit I was a little tempted to see The Spirit, and now I'm not. No, never so, ever see
2: The Spirit.
0: So I think. you've You've saved me and saved my wallet, and you've probably saved the movie industry from getting a wrong idea.
2: You had not not heard about beforehand.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. Special thanks to our guest, Eric Keeley. And you've been listening to Geek Top 5. That was our big top list. Uh, Special thanks to Ben Sound for putting together our theme song on Creative Commons Use. Uh, Special thanks to Stella Simeonova our webmaster, for keeping everything in order. And a special thanks to all of you for listening. If you've got questions, comments, concerns, or contradictions, you can feel free to send us email, Twitters, Facebooks.
1: Graham, what are the addresses for all that? You can email us at geektop5 at gmail.com. You can tweet us at geektop5. And you can Facebook us at facebook.com slash geektop5.
0: Is Facebook a verb now? Yes. Okay, man, (laughs) you young people. Don't get me wrong. I love you. I want to hear from you. But, man, you young people. Anyway, you've been listening to Geek Top 5. Tune back in soon. Love to hear from you.